0: Welcome to the 7th episode of our 2016 No-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, How Intensive Nitrogen Use is Browning the Green Revolution, is being brought to you by Montag Manufacturing. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, currently available on iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to get an alert about upcoming episodes when they are released, If you have another app you use for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll make an effort to get it listed there as well. Thanks to Montag Manufacturing, your fertilizing equipment specialist, for sponsoring today's episode. Offering dry, liquid, and complete fertilizer systems, as well as auto steer carts, Montag's Precision Fertilizer Placement Solutions will reduce your rate, increase your yield, and assist your stewardship goals. Visit them at www.montagmfg.com or call today at 712-852-4574. Has corn yield followed fertilizer nitrogen usage? The answer is no, and in today's episode, Richard Mulvaney will explain why that is. In this episode, which comes from the 2015 National No-Tillage Conference, Richard will debunk the idea that synthetic nitrogen fertilizer helps build soil organic matter by increasing the input of residue carbon and provide research that shows why this idea is false. The University of Illinois fertility specialist will also talk about what no-tillers can do to build up their soils and their yields that doesn't involve more fertilizer. Before we get into the presentation, I'd like to mention that Richard will refer to some slides from the PowerPoint presentation he shared at the conference. While Richard does a good job explaining what is going on in each slide, if you would like to view any slides from the presentation, simply go to the podcast link under the resources tab on our website at www.notillfarmer.com. There you will find this episode, How Intensive Nitrogen Use is Browning the Green Revolution, where we will have a link to Richard's presentation. Please note that you will have to be registered and logged into our website to access the slides. Registering on our website is free. In today's No-Till Farmer podcast, brought to you by Montag Manufacturing, we welcome Richard Mulvaney to talk about why nitrogen fertilizers are not building your soils and what you can do about
1: it. Okay, thank you very much. And uh, it's a a pleasure to uh, be here today. And uh, The topic just mentioned is one that it took me a long time to discover and truth is I probably never would have, except for the troublemaker you just heard talking downstairs. (laughs) Said was the instigator of this project when it began and we also had uh, some considerable help from our colleague Tim Ellsworth, who has now moved to California. I also wanted to acknowledge uh, my late wife Charlene because she, in fact, was the one who gave me a wake-up call some 20 years ago with the remark uh, that current management practices are destroying the sponge that's in our soil. Well, um, those management practices got their start on July 2nd of 1909 that was the day that a young German chemist by the name of Fritz Haber gave a demonstration to some boys from BASF that changed the direction of their nitrogen program and the direction of our world. In 2001, a book was published, the cover is shown here. It was authored by a geographer from the University of Manitoba by the name of Yaklov And I've lifted a quote out of here, out of the book on the left side that pretty much puts things in perspective, and I can wholeheartedly agree with pretty much all this quote. His view is that the synthetic uh, development of ammonia synthesis, the Haber-Bosch process, was the most important technological advance of the 20th century because it's the one that allowed world population to grow to levels that it now is at. Now, Haber's, uh, uh, Schmiel's book is entitled Enriching the Earth. I must take some exception to the title, and perhaps you'll understand why as we get through this talk. Now, the development of ammonia synthesis dates back to 1909. The initial applications were not agricultural, but military. Uh, in fact, it's been estimated that if Germany had not had ammonia synthesis, World War I would have ended by December of 1914. It didn't, and uh, 10 million plus lost their lives on account of it. It it equally was no less important in World War II. So there was a great demand for munitions that consumed the output of ammonia synthesis for many, many years. But after World War II when the uh, hostilities had subsided there was a shift in the output and a new direction for American agriculture. So that we went from the more traditional system of legume rotations with things like red clover and alfalfa being grown before corn to the point that farmers now didn't have to grow their nitrogen, they could buy it. They could buy it in tanks with liquid and hydrous ammonia or with other synthetic and fertilizers that came from ammonia. That change had an enormous impact on American agriculture. It changed the agricultural landscape to what we have today with continuous cash grain cropping. Now the impact on production was also dramatic. And it really marks one of the great success stories in American agriculture, where here I've, I've posted a figure plotting the statewide average corn yields in Illinois we're showing the data as a five-year moving average, going from 1950 on up to 2010. With this influx of synthetic in, which really began to pick up steam in the, in the early 1960s, you can see that we've had a continuous rise in those yields to the point that where land that once produced maybe uh, 55 or 60 or 70 bushels per acre now can produce 180, or even higher, as was the case last year. So it's had a, a huge impact. And, and many like to take this as a great example of how well American agriculture has succeeded and how well this new Green Revolution agriculture has succeeded. But there's more to it than just yield. And so in the next figure, we add two more curves. The one in red shows the statewide average N rate for Illinois. Again, a five-year moving average. And the one in green is the uh, average N uptake for corn production, which just simply comes as a factor from the yield curve. Takes about 1.2 pounds of N per bushel to grow corn. Okay? Now what we see then is a picture here and the focus is captured in the heading, has corn yield followed fertilizer end usage? In other words, has has the the use of that synthetic end really been the driving force for those higher yields? Well, we compare the curves and we we see a different shape. We see that the red curve here seems to look kind of like a mountain range and it's going up and then kind of levels off and declines, and doesn't really look so much like the curve in the data set in black or the one in green, which show more or less a continuous upward progression. It's a different shape. And we might note that back in the early years, before the, the real transition to synthetic end had gotten underway in the 60s, that the the input of fertilizer N was well below crop N uptake. And this is for corn now. And we might say, well, that's not too surprising. There must have still been some land and legume rotations, and there wasn't that much use of synthetic N. And so we had corn yields being supported by the legumes. And that's certainly true. But let's look at the other end of the picture. Uh, the, The peak of synthetic N occurred in Illinois in the 1980s and since then it's kind of been on a downward trend and notice that the red curve now has dropped below the green. Now we're not growing all that much alfalfa and clover and so forth and it surely must take more nitrogen to get a higher yield. So it raises the obvious question, well first it answers this question the answer is no and secondly Where is the nitrogen coming from now that we've seen some decline in fertilizer usage while yields have continued to climb? Where is that nitrogen coming from? There is another source. And that source comes from a four letter word called soil. This figure is telling us that soil, not fertilizer, is the main source of N for corn. Here we're looking at the yield data from 47 on-farm response trials in which manure had not been applied for at least three years before the trials were done. The green part of the bars here plot the check yields, the yields without any supplemental N. The blue bars on top of the green would be the extra increment that comes from the economically optimum n-rate, the extra yield that came from using n. You can see that the green bars were almost always larger than the blue bars. And in fact, for 11 of these sites, there is no blue bar. Because those were sites where the yield of the, of the check was not increased by N fertilization. They were non-responsive, 11 out of 47. Now, I've arranged the, the bars here so that they, they're, they're running from left to right uh, in, in order of decreasing check plot yields. And if you look at the, the overall pattern here, you get the idea that the blue bars, there, there's variation and, and, and so forth, but there's a tendency for the blue bars to get bigger going to the right as the green bars get smaller. And that raises a real important principle that is the hallmark of my soil fertility class and that is yes the soil is the main source and good soils need less and poor soils need more. So let's look at the data here in the box. 47 trials. Averaging those out the optimum the range for the optimum men rates was from zero to 210. Remember the zero are the green bars with no blue bar. So zero up to 210 pounds per acre, and the mean was 85 pounds per acre for these 47 trials. 85 pounds. Now we all know that most farmers use a lot more than 85 pounds of end to grow corn. The textbooks tell us that's a good thing because nitrogen builds organic matter. If it does, then our soils should be better than they used to be in terms of all kinds of properties that have a lot to do with growing crops. Soil aggregation and aeration, water storage, cation exchange and buffer capacities, mineralizable NPNS, and micronutrient supplies. Organic matter has a lot of hats to fill. So if we're building organic matter with more synthetic in, our soils are getting better. There's plenty of data sets that say that message. And one of them comes from a study at Monmouth in Western Illinois. It was published in 2007 and this figure was in it. This study was done at a site that's a long-term study where corn's grown every year and has been since 1983. The sampling for this study was done in 2004. So 21 years after the plots were started, the samples were taken. And they were taken from the plots that represent these different end rates. So in the figure, we're looking at what they call SOC sequestration rate versus N-rate. We're seeing two data sets. One of these is for the surface foot, and the other is down to three feet. And in both cases, the regression lines show a positive slope, saying that as you have a higher N-rate, you have more SOC sequestration. We can all rest easy. Our system is working. The soils are getting better. But are they? There's something missing here. Do you notice how the data points don't go down to zero? There's no points for zero. And yet there was zero plots there. Well, over here on the side I put a bullet telling you that this figure is plotting SOC levels relative to the zero. So that these values are actually the increases above the SOC for the zero plots. There's a hidden assumption. It permeates the literature, and it's the one right here. We're assuming that the zero was constant over time, and that these guys then would have been increasing above that. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah! Uh. It's invalid. So in 1983, and since then, when the plots were put under continuous corn, and the zeros were cropped with no fertilizer input, they were being mined. We took nitrogen out every year in the corn, along with all the other nutrients. Nothing was put back. And so what happened? Well, the yields declined. And when they did, yes, they reduced the residue carbon input. What's the catch line here? The zero plots were not constant. The organic carbon over time went down. So if we're comparing these fertilized plots to the zero checks and the zero check was actually decreasing over time, well maybe it's possible these were decreasing too, okay, from what they used to be. And in fact that is precisely the case. We happen to have a second data set coming from the same plots. Ten years before the study just, just shown in the previous slide was done, we had a number of 14.3 tons per acre to the, in the surface 4 inches. If you average out the numbers for the 2004 sampling, you get 12.0. And so we find out that the carbon was actually decreasing. Not increasing, decreasing. That synthetic N actually wasn't building carbon. It was going down. Well, okay, so, so we're talking about 21 years. Maybe it just takes more time to build carbon. You got to be patient here. Give the microbes time to work. Give the crops time to fix more carbon. Well, we got the perfect site. Said talked about it in the, in the, in the message he had downstairs, and I'm going to talk about it here. It's the moral plots the oldest experimental site in the United States and North America, the moral plots. Seven-tenths of an acre on the campus at the University of Illinois. As the uh, marker down here shows, it was designated a National Historic Landmark in 1968. It's a really good thing it was, because I've got a feeling if it hadn't been, we'd have a photo here now of a parking lot or a building but the university can't touch it. <laughs> what do you find at the moral Plots? Well going back to 1876 there were three rotations. On the north end of the moral Plots we have continuous corn and Saeed talked about this a little bit with, with potassium. It's here right here on this part of the plots. In the center used to be corn-oats and then in 1967 it became corn-soybean. On the south end we have corn-oats hay. So they've been going on year after year after year. Beginning in 1955, synthetic fertilizers were brought into some of the subplots on the western half of the experimental area over in here. Okay? Some of those areas began to get synthetic fertilizer including nitrogen, whenever corn was grown. So we have years and years here. The good news was trumpeted the very next year in 1956. This article appeared in a fertilizer trade journal called Plant Food Review and it was authored by the guy who was then the head of the Department of Agronomy, M.B. Russell and the title pretty much tells you the story. All the way back in one year, but there is a question mark here at the end. He was basing that message on the yields. So what they had done was to split the unfertilized check plot in each of those three rotations, and now half of it began to get NPK. Okay, the other half stayed unfertilized. So this was the unfertilized, and right next to it was NPK. Well, look at that, there's more ears in the basket. Okay? That's the basis for thinking we've solved the problem, everything's working, we can feed the world. Well, let's find out. The message about the soil appeared in 1982. We had this figure in, in this bulletin. And it's showing you the change in organic matter over the course of many decades. This goes back to the earliest soil samples we have, which were actually 1904. And so we're looking at a change in organic carbon. And the the important plot is the one here with the broken line at the bottom. This was the unfertilized check plot. And this particular data uh, figure is for continuous corn. So it's going down, 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 as we mine the soil and grow corn, putting nothing back. But then half of of that plot was fertilized beginning in 1955, and that's the part that generated this upward line right here. That's the NPK. So it's starting to go up in organic matter. This is not no-till. This used to be what we called conventional tillage. More recently in the Morrill Plots, it's been a mulch tillage system with chisel and disc. The Monmouth site would be pretty much the same. It would it'd probably be chisel disc. So no, it's not no-till. So here we're looking at, at, a, at, a, at an increasing level of organic carbon. According to this figure, when we fertilized with synthetic N, the N was actually urea, which was made from anhydrous ammonia. So we just thought, what about 50 years later? Why don't we just extrapolate that data set and continue the upward trend? And we say, well, hey, we should be seeing 12 more tons of SOM or seven tons of, of carbon per acre after those 50 or 51 years. And we sampled the plots in 2005 to see what we would see. And all I can do is repeat the messages, kind of like the ad that Wendy's used to run Where's the beef? Where's the beef? Where's the buildup? Where Where are the seven tons? Where are they? Okay, we're going to look here at some figures that show us the input of carbon from the residues. Uh, this will be this is for continuous corn. I'll show you corn and soybean as well. And then we're going to look at the change in carbon storage. We have the unfertilized and the NPK. The NPK was averaging about 190 pounds of N per acre over those 51 years. So every year they applied about 190 pounds. Okay, here's a couple of photos. These were captured a a couple years ago. Uh, The check plot at that time was growing a a whopping total of 8,000 plants per acre, and as you can see, there just wasn't much residue. You can easily see the black soil amidst the residue. Right next to it on the NPK, you can't see the soil. It was at 32,000 plants per acre, and the residues completely covered the ground. So just based on appearance alone, if you thought like I used to think, you'd assume, well, well, that soil must have more carbon because, I mean, there's so much more residue going in there. And in fact, over here in the green bars, you find out it's about three times the amount over 51 years. lot more carbon going in. But here's the message, you can't keep it. Look down at the orange bar, the unfertilized plot actually increased a little bit over those 51 years in carbon storage, but the NPK went down. You put all this carbon in, but not a bit of it stayed. And it took some of the soil organic carbon with it over the time. It's gone. You can't hold it. Now, of course, I got suspicious. The frat boys are coming out. They're stealing the stalks. What's going on? Well, I had to learn a few things. It's the microbes that stole the stalks. Yep, the microbes. Corn soybean shows the same thing. We basically doubled the input of residue carbon when we fertilized with NPK compared to the check, but you didn't do anything for the soil. It went down, and it went down on the check as well. You can't keep it. You're putting it there, but you can't keep it. When I see this stuff, and by the way, I'm the one who ran the, the soil carbon data here. I did it myself. I wanted to be sure. So I'll vouch for it on a stack of Bibles if need be. I'll vouch for it. So I began to understand, hey wait a minute now. There's something going on here. I think maybe the moral plots are an incinerator. Yeah, that's right, they're an incinerator. But it's not just carbon that's being lost, it's also nitrogen. The vast majority of the nitrogen in soil is tied up with carbon, organic carbon. It's organic. So here we're looking at total N, again changed over those 51 years. And we have to ask, where's the buildup? It's not there. So this time we're, we're plotting the crop end removal in the blue bar. Uh, the green is the fertilizer input. There wasn't any for the check. But here we had a pretty sizable input of, of over four and a half tons per acre in 51 years. Uh, and then we have the soil again in the, in the orange. And look at this. It went down more when we put in Four and a half tons of N. It went down more for the NPK than for the check. Wow. And corn soybean tells the same story, down and down. Here it was a little bit less down than this one. But you have to remember that the NPK here was delivering less N when you average it per year. Because soybeans didn't get any N. So there's some legume fixation here that didn't happen with continuous corn. So the point here is that, yeah, you can put in this in, but you're still your soil is still losing in. It's not gaining, it's losing. The soil is not a bank. OK, it's not a bank.
0: We'll rejoin Richard in just a minute, but I wanted to take a moment to again thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for today's episode. We met up with Anthony Montag earlier this year at the 2016 Farm Progress Show to talk about the company their commitment to education, and where they see no-till heading in the future. Let's hear from Anthony Montag now.
2: Uh, Yeah, it's Anthony Montag, Montag Manufacturing, here at the 2016 Farm Progress Show. I'm the CEO and general manager of Montag Manufacturing, and Montag Manufacturing is a company we focus on building dry fertilizer equipment, steerable carts, liquid attachments for planters and strip-till, no-till equipment, been in business for about uh... since 2005 so mainly focused on precision placement of fertilizer uh, placing the nutrients uh... in the root zone where it can have the most effect and uh... uh most benefit to the crop with the goal of both reducing costs and increasing yield and improved overall soil health monte manufacturing uh... essentially came out of an idea that my father had for banding dry fertilizer and really. Uh, in response to a a need in the industry for precision placement. You know, back in the early days of agriculture we would have placed that usually with a planter and fertilizer was expensive and we placed it and uh, did a really good job. Then it became less of a concern, it was more of a cheap thing that we could just get out there and get done and we've seen a lot of broadcast fertilizer come in and take that need. Now fertilizer definitely has an expense. And we also notice and find that we have a lot more of an environmental impact with it. So the precision placement of fertilizer and having a product that can be adapted to multiple different platforms. Um, as you walk around the show you'll see us on lots of different pieces of equipment but then in the industry you'll find us behind planters and strip bars, no-till equipment, uh, even some heavy tillage equipment, high speed applicators for side dressing. So kind of a really broad spectrum in which the equipment's and then we're not tied directly in with just one tillage piece. We work with a lot of different manufacturers to supply that solution. For us, education is the key to making good decisions. Uh, We feel that if we can educate the grower and educate um, our end consumer or dealer on our products, on our services, and on what they do and what advantages they have, that's ultimately the best way to make a sale. Um, It isn't so much about just selling iron for us, but about selling concept and practice. We believe our iron will stand for itself. From both our design engineering standpoint and its working usability in the market, but ultimately the biggest argument often is, you know, what does it take to do a good job? What are the outcomes of it? What are the risks that we're trying to balance out? You know, when you when you look at broadcast fertilizer, especially in your P and K, a lot of it uh, can be tied up in the top soil zone. It's not very mobile in the soil, and yet we're putting it out there with the response that we hope to see in that same growing season, or at least um, in the preceding growing season coming, frankly, it's not going to be available oftentimes. We see it's gonna take two to three years for it to move. So let's place that fertility where it can have the most effect. Um, And that's really a long educational process. And cooperation with working with the uh, farm equipment on the different strip-till and no-till conferences and pieces like that, those are really uh, at the forefront of leading education in the industry so we're really honored and proud to be there I mean conservation tillage is only growing in popularity um, the need is there for them in the industry we can see the heavy heavy cost of erosion on our soils now, I was driving into the show yesterday and drove by a couple of fields and you could tell that they were past pasture fields that had just been taken and converted over to a full uh, conventional tillage program and you could see huge gullies and erosion issues out there yellowed corn where it had happened. You know, we had soil loss there, and there's no real repair for that. We can kind of mask and make it go away. But ultimately, paying more attention to our soils, focusing on soil health, it's gonna drive us to a conservation or a no-till type practice more. Uh, I guess I see that growing in the industry. And even legislatively, you can see you can see the pressure and the push to take more ground and move it into no-till and conservation, especially with an emphasis on focused on banding fertility and those types of things. You know, that's, uh, you know, no-till or strip-till with broadcast fertility is a tough sell. But when you start looking at it um, and start adding in some banded fertility, now all of a sudden it starts to work a lot better. um, And the end grower can see a lot better results from it.
0: Thanks again to Montag Manufacturing for sponsoring this episode. For more information on Montag, visit them at www.montagmfg.com or call today at 712-852-4574. Before we return to the program, I wanted to let you know about our current discounted registration price for the 2017 National No-Tillage Conference. This 25th anniversary event will take place this January in St. Louis from the 10th through the 13th. In addition to the 13 general sessions and 24 classrooms on the agenda, we have some special plans to celebrate the 25 years of the conference. Register before December 31st to save $50 off the on-site rate of $369. For complete conference details and to register, visit www.notillconference.com. Now let's hear more from Richard on why the soil is the main source for nitrogen and where it comes from.
1: Well, we also looked at the potentially mineralizable fraction. This is a really important fraction that I didn't used to understand anything about. I told you that the soil is the main source of N, and here's where it comes from. Okay, this is the part of the N in the soil that's feeding the plant. So we're looking at the comparison from 55 to 2005 at three different depths. This is for uh, continuous corn corn, soybean, and corn, oats, hay. And it's the NPK treatment in every case. And so we find out if we compare the total height of the bars for all three depths, in every rotation it's gone down. What that means? The soil is weaker today than it used to be. That's what it says. Soil is weaker. And you might notice that the It's a little hard to see, but you might notice that the decreases have actually been greater in the subsurface and the subsoil. That's where the real burning takes place because it stays moister. And you've got the roots there giving carbon and so forth. So, yeah, we're losing. The soil's getting weaker. It's not getting better. It's getting weaker. So naturally, we wondered, is this some quirk with the moral plots? Has it been seen elsewhere? So we start to go to the library. Been doing a lot of that library work. It's dangerous stuff, I'm telling you. Here's a data set that we took from some papers coming from Rothamsted, the world's oldest experiment field, started in 1843. It's near London. The most famous plot there would be the Brogbach continuous wheat plots. It's growing wheat every year since 1843. Well, they began to use synthetic N way back then. They were using ammonium sulfate. Here's the NPK data set. Here's one for farmyard manure. And here's one for their unfertilized. Well, the unfertilized its no surprise. They've been growing wheat every year, taking away nutrients including N. And yes, it's losing organic carbon. (laughs) not a surprise, it's being mined. The farmyard manure, why you can see it's doing great, it's gaining. And the NPK, it's not gaining. Now they they want to plot here a little bit of an increase showing up. Uh, If I were you I wouldn't buy it. Look at the data points, they're kinda going down. Okay? The nitrogen story the same way. Farmyard manure gained from 1881 to 1987, and NPK lost. So it's the same story as the moral plots. Same story. How about Askoff, Denmark? Long term study goes back to about the time of World War I. And again, what are they seeing? A decline. A decline in what they call humus here, organic carbon. It's going down. And so too is nitrogen. And in this case, nitrogen is decreasing for both the manured and the NPK as well as the unmanured or or the check. They're all going down. And I might mention here that the manure rate here was much lower than at Rothamsted. So it it wasn't enough to maintain it. Everything's losing. They had both a loam field and a sand field. At that site, they're, they're both losing. They're losing. Then we go over to France uh, for a sugar beet experiment, wheat sugar beet actually. It's in Grignon, and the guy's name was Deyrain. And this is a famous site there. And again, you can see the trend is down. <laughs> With or without NPK, it's losing over time. It's losing. Okay? So it's the same as the moral plots. And then one more example coming back to Missouri with Sanborn Field. And here it is, uh, a paper published by a guy named William Albrecht in 1938. We're looking at the changes in in organic carbon and total N. Carbon's over on the two, two, two stacks of bars on the left side. Nitrogen's over on the right side and we're comparing 1914 with 1938, 14's in green, 38's in blue. The check plot, the unfertilized gained some carbon, but the NPK lost. They both lost in. Now let me tell you about Sanborn Field. It got started in 1888 and right from the first They put out a treatment with synthetic in, 1888. You know, sometimes I think (laughs) the guys in Illinois just should have used the library a little bit more. And they could have analyzed what would happen at the moral plots. Sanborn Field was already telling the story, as was Rothamsted. So Wildbrick came out there after the first 25 years, uh, 1914, and after the second 25 in 1938. And and it's very interesting, actually, because he had published an article in the 1938 USDA Yearbook of Agriculture. And in that article, he's saying the same thing the textbooks still say. Fertilizer nitrogen is important for building organic matter. Then he publishes this paper. And in this paper, he says, nope. In fact, the lowest carbon plots at Sanborn Field were the ones that got NPK. The problem is the carbon supply of the soil has been burned out by the fertilizer. Yeah, this is not no-till. Nothing I've showed you is no-till. So This is just tilled plots. It was probably moldboard plow back then, I would imagine. So what's this burning that Albrecht is talking about? Are we talking about literally fire that's burning? No, well, well, sort of. Actually, it's the microbes he's talking about, the microbial fires. The problem is that when you fertilize the crop, you fertilize the microbes, Okay, And when you give them nitrogen, what they're going to be after is carbon. You can never decouple those two elements, not on planet earth, not in our bodies, not in the soil, not in the plant, carbon and nitrogen. And the reason the microbes need that nitrogen, you see, carbon is their fuel source, they burn it to make energy. So do we. They need the nitrogen to make the enzymes to burn the carbon. Every enzyme has nitrogen. So there is a coupling right there. So Albrecht is talking about stimulating the microbes by fertilizing the soil. Now sometimes that kind of effect is just what you want. A good example, getting rid of a tree stump. You don't have a stump grinder and you are tired of dealing with the tree stump, fertilize it. You can go to Walmart and buy this stump stuff called stump remover. If you read the label, you'll find out it's just fertilizer, N-fertilizer, typically nitrate. But it could be an ammoniacal as well. So what you're doing is you drill out a few holes in the stump, put in the stump remover or fertilize it, and just keep it moist. And what you're going to see happen is the fertilizer will accelerate the rot. The stump will turn dark and rot quicker with nitrogen. That's all that's going on. Same principle applies to getting rid of oil. Back in the 1980s, there was a little problem up in Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, with a tanker named the Exxon Valdez. They had some real, real problems with, with an oil spill. And they tried something called bioremediation which is just a fancy word for, t- for saying that the microbes are going to eat up the oil. That's all it is. And how do you get them to eat the oil? You give them fertilizer. They started fertilizing with urea and a phosphorus-based surfactant. And several papers came out from that trial, like the one I've, I've taken this figure from, and they're showing that the microbes have burned away the, the crude oil they burned it away. You gave them nitrogen, they wanted carbon. Okay, that's how it works. So let's come back to the moral plots. This microbial effect. Here we're looking at a figure that's really giving us a pretty important message. It's a message about crop rotation. We're showing corn yields here with the, with the uh, yellow or, or light orange bars. We have the residue carbon inputs in the green and the blue being the fertilizer in. We're looking at the check and the NPK. Again, this is over 51 years. We have continuous corn and corn-oats hay. Okay, the check plot. Look at the the yellow bars. The check yields are about double for corn-oats hay. This is corn yield as they are for continuous corn. Now, that might not be surprising. The corn here gets no input of fertilizer. So of course the preceding hay crop helps the corn. So big surprise. That's why they used to grow corn after a forage legume. The real story is over on the right, the NPK. Look here, the yield with continuous corn is lower than with corn oats hay, quite a bit lower. Now by the way, in order to make this figure, what I did was to average the corn yields for the years when corn was grown in both systems, just for those years. So we get a higher yield for corn, oats, hay, and yet look at this. We had less input of carbon, Yeah, less input, and a, and a lot less fertilizer. Only got fertilized when corn was grown, every third year. This guy gets fertilized every year. So we're putting more in and we're getting less yield out. That's what it's telling us. It's telling me that fertilizer cannot replace rotation. That's what it's saying. And this was an old message that the guys 75, 80 years ago were telling about the moral plots rotation. Now sometimes a picture is better than a figure. So here we have a couple of photos taken in August of 2006. Comparing the continuous corn NPK with the corn oats, hay, the ones we were just looking at in the figure. The students the same, there's no trick photography, didn't do anything in Photoshop here, okay. Same student, that happened to be a dry summer in Urbana. And here on the continuous corn NPK, you can see it's not doing too well. <laughs> it was hurting big time. Down here to the south end, look at the difference in the corn. <laughs> wow. Remember we just looked at the figure with the higher yield for, in, for corn oats hay? Well, it's pretty obvious here it's going to be higher. And why was the corn doing so much better? The soil has more organic matter. And organic matter stores water. Sure worked great in 2006. Fertilizers can't replace good management with a rotation. So we come to a glum and and depressing conclusion here. I, I sure wish I had the big answer here to give you guys. It, it boosts my, my spirits too. We have a dilemma. The dilemma, dilemma is when we went to this synthetic end regime with the Green Revolution, dates back to 1909 in Haber's lab, we did increase food production the intent was that people would live better and the standards of living would increase in the third world. Well, it didn't exactly work out like Borlaug thought it would. Instead, world population doubled. Well, if we're getting that extra food supply and more people with a production system that is degrading the soil it raises some concerns, at least in my mind. Uh, here in 2009, National Geographic published this issue, and it pretty much captures the problem where food begins is the soil. If the soil's getting weaker, uh oh, the Titanic's heading for an iceberg. Uh, food shortages tend to lead to things like revolutions. Okay, And so there's growing concern in places like Southeast Asia, especially in India, where they're putting on more and more in, but the yields are stagnating or even declining. They are worried. What can be done? Well, the short-term approach would be to, to put more of the in where we want it to go in the crop. Increase efficiency. To do that, well it would be a good idea to account for what the soil can supply and there are soil tests that can help us do that now. If the soil supplies more, you need less fertilizer. If it supplies less, you need more. Secondly, you know we've got farmers out there putting on a lot of anhydrous in the fall. They're farming lots of acres, they're worried about next spring, got to get a lot of things done. It doesn't make agronomic sense. If there's no crop out there to take up the N, there's always plenty of microbes. And they will. It'll promote the burning. So synchronize fertilization with the crop. My favorite recommendation would be side dressing. And you may have to change the form of fertilizer in. Uh, Said and I found out when we were digging through this literature that although you might think that nitrate fertilizers would be worse because they can leach and denitrify, the fact is the efficiency tends to be higher because the plant has the edge in taking up nitrate, whereas the microbes have the edge in taking up ammonium. Maybe we need to rethink the kinds of fertilizers we're using. In the long run, we may have to diversify what we're doing. There are people, one of them is Sir, uh, Sir Albert Howard, wrote a classic book in 1947, said that you'll never have sustainable agriculture until the animals come back to the land. The animals help feed the soil as the soil feeds the animals. It's, it's more of a cycle. We've lost that. We may have to recouple animal and crop production, Okay, That's a huge endeavor. None of us probably want to go there. But in the long run, we may have to in order to make good use of things like red clover that won't need fertilizer in. Now, what's the market for red clover? How much hay do we need? How many horses do we feed? Those are all huge problems. But I'm just pointing out that we may have to think bigger than what we're doing now. This is not really a new message. 3,500 years ago, this uh, message was inscribed on a cave in northern India. And they recognized that their survival was linked to the welfare of the soil. Ours is too. And that's the message I'll leave you with. This afternoon. Synthetic end is not building our soils, it's burning.
0: That quote Richard just mentioned was from an Indian civilization dating back to 1500 BC. Upon this handful of soil, our survival depends. Husband it, and it will grow our food, our fuel, and our shelter and surround us with beauty. Abuse it and it will collapse and die, taking man with it. Thank you to Richard Mulvaney for addressing the myth that nitrogen builds up the soil and that yields have followed its increase in use. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll consider joining us for the 25th anniversary of the National No-Tillage Conference. Again, the 2017 event is taking place in St. Louis from January 10th through the 13th and you can still register for a discounted rate of $319 before December 31st to save $50 off the on-site registration fee. For more information and to register, visit www.notillconference.com. I'd also like to recognize and thank our sponsor Montag Manufacturing once again for helping make this No-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I look forward to your feedback on today's episode, and feel free to drop me an email at lbarrera at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2404. And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletters, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer, with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R, and on our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For Richard Mulvaney, Montag Manufacturing, and our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Laura Barrera. Thanks for listening.